Aloha and welcome to Your Heart Magic, an illuminating space where psychology, spirituality and heart wisdom meet. Here's your host, Dr. Beth-Ann Kapansky-Wright, the clinical psychologist with a mystic mind. Aloha, everyone. This is Dr. Beth-Ann Kapansky-Wright, and you are listening to the Your Heart Magic podcast. We are talking about spiritual awakenings today, what they are, how somebody might experience or understand that kind of an awakening process, how to navigate them. And I will be sharing a little bit about my own experience with awakenings in my life. I have to admit that there is so much material that we could cover that this could easily be part one, part two, and part three. So we will do um, a survey course today and see what we can tap into and learn about in the time that we do have. So let's start with what is a spiritual awakening? Spiritual awakening could also be called a disruption of consciousness or an awakening of consciousness. Imagine that you have a certain view in which you see the world. And you may or may not even know that you have this view. It has been developed perhaps by what you've been taught or maybe what you have perceived for yourself and what you have experienced for yourself. It is a viewpoint that you have created based on who you understand yourself to be, what you understand your purpose to be, perhaps some of the relationships in that you are in and how you understand your roles within those relationships, um, maybe how you understand your health or different factors in your identity. And so there's this sense that you have anchored yourself to these things that feel true for you and certain for you. And when we anchor to ourselves, when we anchor ourselves to things that feel certain for us without even knowing that we're doing it, we have created a set point or a grounding point, if you will. Um, and when an awakening process happens, usually something external will happen in our lives that comes along and knocks us off of that set point. And we find that something begins to be challenged with the perspective that we had created. So an example of this might be somebody goes through a major breakup or a divorce, and it begins to make them start to question everything about their life, everything that they thought they thought was true about the relationship. They might start to question themselves and their understanding of who they were in the relationship. And maybe that brings them to a reflection point of, how did I get in this relationship in the first place? And they start doing massive inventory about their upbringing or their family of origin or how they understand themselves in a partnership. And that maybe brings them to this list of what do I really want? What do I really need? If I could create a bigger life for myself, what would it look like? There can be a lot of space that happens when we begin to go through this sifting examination process. And as we sift and as we examine, often what happens is we really shake up. 
this old certitude and perspective of how we used to see life. And we begin to gain a bigger perspective for looking at the world. So when we go through a spiritual awakening, there's often some form of a transcendent component. That's the piece that makes it spiritual, something that is bigger than our limited view of ourself, our limited identity, and our limited, um, I guess, our previously conceived more limited notion of how we understood our lives. And when that gets jostled or jolted or nudged or sometimes sledgehammered and cracked wide open, there is this giant sky and this field of possibility that can often open to us. And it makes us look up. It makes us open to things like asking bigger questions about spirituality and what might be out there, or maybe questioning the faith that we might have previously had or what we've been taught, um, maybe questioning faith in general. Do I believe any of this? So there are these bigger questions that often come through. And what's happening in that process is we are loosening our attachment to how things were in order to create a new way of being and a new understanding of how things are now, which means the process itself usually feels very disorienting. If you think of a time in your life where you've ever felt between worlds, maybe you have moved someplace new and you don't know anybody yet, or you haven't unpacked yet, um, or you're about to move someplace new. So you're house or your dorm room or your apartment or wherever you've lived is half packed up. And you're like, okay, I don't really belong here anymore, but I don't really know like what I'm stepping into. And I don't know how I'm going to understand myself or how I'm going to belong there. You're in between worlds. Sometimes we can feel in between identities. Maybe we've decided a relationship or a career um, or job isn't for us. And yet we're like, I don't know what is for me. Like, what's next? So there's this uncertainty that comes with it. And psychologically, our brains and our emotional centers, our emotional set points, um, our emotional thermometers, how I think of it, does not like it when we start to mess with things and change the temperature. We understand ourselves through certainty. So there's this strange paradox in life that even though change is nature's way and we spend our entire lives changing from birth onwards, um, our brain enjoys a sense of certitude. So when you start messing with all of that, what people often experience is feeling like they are disoriented. They might feel out of sorts. They might feel really restless and dissatisfied with their life. Um, there might be the sense of bigger possibility. I know there's something more for me. I feel like I should be doing something, but I don't know exactly what that is. Oftentimes, we do not have language to describe what it is that we want to create or what we want to step into because we haven't created it yet and we haven't had the formative experiences or often the linguistics, the language to put to our experience of self. So when you're experiencing something, a lot of times we're just immersed in the experience of it. Um, our brain might be thinking about, wow, I feel really strange right now, or I feel really sad, or I have these feelings of grief and I don't know why, or I feel really excited and I don't know why I'm drawn to this new thing. So our brain might have opinions and mental chatter about that, 
But it's in hindsight that we understand our journeys. And it's in reflection that we can look back and say, oh, I didn't get it at the time, but now I see I was going through this massive internal transformation and it was kind of the catalyst of that might've been the loss of X and that led me to feel Y and I went through this big change process. You know, when we have that perspective of hindsight, we're able to see the sequence of how our transformation happened. When we're in the thick of it, it often just feels really messy. When I was going through what I would call my biggest spiritual awakening, um, you can have more than one. There might be more things in our life that kind of knock us into a new orbit and make us have to expand into a bigger view. But the main one that I had that I really felt like if I could do a timeline, that is like my big X on the timeline where I would be like, that is when everything changed, um, was back in 2011. And I had no idea I was going through a spiritual awakening. I wouldn't even put those words to it. Um, I didn't fully understand what was happening with myself. I didn't really have a lot of guidance. And I remember somebody saying to me during that process, Bethann, if it was anybody else, I would be like a little bit concerned about, do you need to seek treatment or do you need to like go talk to somebody? And um, I was working with somebody at the time. I'm a big proponent of mental health, big fan of therapy, big fan of therapists, seeing therapists, like everybody needs somebody to help them sort through their stuff. But I remember basically my friend was like, if it was anybody but you, I might think they were going a little bit crazy. And I would question, is this person losing their grip on reality? And because um, I was a psychologist at the time, and I have a lot of insight into myself, I was still anchored enough that she was able to say, I think you're going to be okay, but I'm kind of worried about you because I was so disoriented and going through so much at the time. So um, it's not always that bad, but sometimes awakening processes can be really hard on people because how we understood ourselves um, is challenged to such a degree that often it might call for some really big life changes. And that was kind of what was coming for me. And there can be, I said earlier, there was a sense of a loosening attachment. And sometimes these kinds of feeling-based experiences will also show up in our body as somatic or sensory information. So at the time, I remember feeling like I was dissolving. I have felt like I've been melting before or was kind of disintegrating or was going up in flames. Um, I felt restless in my own skin. Somebody might feel really tired. They might if they are outgrowing a space, they might feel like they just want to fall asleep every time they're in that space. And that might be the psyche's way of letting them know you're really bored here. Like there's no new life for you here. There's nothing new to experience. There might be some symptoms that look and mimic some form of a psychological issue, like some depression symptoms or anxiety symptoms. Um, there's not a DSM-5 manual for spiritual awakenings or some diagnostic and statistical manual for that. There's just this cluster of symptoms that I've experienced myself and um, a lot of other people have reported and experienced as well that kind of gives us some form of 
an evidence base, I suppose, to look at and say, these might be common ear markers. So things related, again, to disorientation, feeling out of sorts, feeling restless, feeling irritated. And again, those symptoms wouldn't be floating around disconnected to anything else. This is always accompanied by somebody who is sifting through the contents of their life and have had their worldview rocked or challenged in some kind of way, whether that is externally with a big catalyst of an event that has challenged them or whether something in them just kind of woke up and started looking at life differently. I usually find that it's a little bit of both and that when our soul is ready to stretch its arms out and grow and it's like this is the time I find that the external events of our life sync up with it. So we're given the external events to kind of almost like an obstacle course to work through these new feelings and skills that are coming to fruition within us. And which comes first? I don't know. That's chicken or the egg. Does it start inwardly or outwardly? I don't know that I can answer that today. I just have experienced myself that usually when something is happening internally, something externally is happening as well. So how do we navigate this? Like I said, in spiritual awakenings are innately disorienting because we are shattering a previous view of self and a previous understanding and limitation of self. So lose the expectation that you're going to be through it in a certain amount of time or that it's going to look a certain way. I think Knowing when we know we are in a transformation process and a process of transforming into something and we don't know what's on the other side, one of the best things we can do is to try and adopt an attitude and perspective that will support our transformation as opposed to an attitude and perspective where we resist that transformation. And what I mean by that is when we place expectations on ourselves that What's wrong with me? I should be feeling better right now. Why haven't I worked through this? Um, gosh, it's been over two weeks. I can't believe I still feel so out of sorts. What's happening? Or, well, that happened three months ago or six months ago. Why is it still impacting me now? You know, when we do that, we make it harder on ourselves. And when you're going through that process, there's the soul's timeline. You can trust your own process of self, but nobody can really come in and tell you it's going to end on X date. You know, it's not a retrograde where we can track it on the elliptical with um, astrology or the ellipses, whatever that's called, and say, okay, Mercury's popping out of retrograde um, on January 18th. It actually did just pop out of retrograde today. I'm recording this on the 18th. <laughs> you know, So there's not like you're in this retrograde awakening process and you're going to pop out of retrograde on X date. You have to trust the process. And a really good metaphor for that, I feel, is the idea of being a traveler and being on a journey. And if you were to imagine taking a European vacation back in um, like the 80s, back before the age of cell phones and instant internet access, where maybe all you had was like, I'm going to backpack through Europe and I've got my travel book. Um, 
and you knew that you were probably going to be there for the summer. You hadn't booked your return ticket. Maybe you knew you wanted to go to France and you were going to start out there and that's where you were flying into. Maybe you knew a little bit of French or you'd had the foresight to grab a book of easy French translation so that you could get around. But a lot of it might be an adventure. That was the whole idea of backpacking through Europe was to create an experience of adventuring and of travel where it wasn't all planned out and you didn't know where you were going to end up and you didn't have this instant access to see what hotels or hostels or whatever B&Bs were around you. Oh, and look, here's an opening here. Like, let's book it for the night. There was a lot more unknown, I think, back before we had information at our fingertips. And so people had to be more resourceful. They had to learn to be a little bit more flexible, a little bit more adaptable, a little bit more fluid. And that is a beautiful metaphor for navigating an awakening process is staying curious, knowing that you are on this journey, um, being a collector of information. I highly recommend keeping your version of a travel log and you know a, a journey log. Um, keep a journal, write down what you're experiencing, write down the changes that you are witnessing in yourself and that you might be experiencing with yourself. Um, Make notes of what you're feeling, of what's coming up for you, the things that you're questioning in your life. And the big caveat that I have from this is resist the urge to interpret the data too soon. Again, our brain wants to know it's going to seek certainty. So when we are in psychological ambivalence, it's discomfortable and uncomfortable for us, but it's not going to kill us. So if we can learn to sit with the discomfort and say, well, I don't know what I don't know. And I don't know who I'm going to be at the end of this process. I can't guarantee that. Then it allows us to have a lot more grace and surrender for our process of change and for our process of awakening and coming into um, this new perspective of self. And the last thing that I want to recommend for um, awakening processes, there's actually two things. One of them is to also be a collector of information. Um, so you might look for other people who've been through something similar. You might know them. It might be more of an archetype or a character in a story that you find yourself drawn to or that you really relate to or that you resonate with. And in that case, um, it doesn't matter that it's make-believe. Stories are mirrors that help us identify themes that we might find on our own journey. And often a theme might really light us up or we might feel really drawn to something or drawn to a character. And people have a tendency to feel silly. You know, they have a tendency to say, oh, well, I read so-and-so's autobiography, you know, maybe it's a real story. And I know I have nothing in common with X, but when she said this, I really related to that. 
Don't feel silly for relating to something that another human being has been through, even if their experience is different. And don't feel silly for relating to something that you might see in a movie or a TV show or a series that you love. Somebody wrote that. Those stories came from somewhere. There are elements of real life experience and real human themes in them. So be a collector of the things that you feel drawn to that are giving you vocabulary and reflecting feeling states back to you and experiences back to you that help you understand your experience. And you might also find it helpful to reflect back on your own life when you have been through any kind of a change before. And maybe it wasn't a spiritual awakening. Maybe you just remember going through like the change of adolescence and high school and not knowing how you would like being a freaked out freshman and by senior year being like, I've got this. Or maybe you were scared to go into college and you remember that journey. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that is spiritually based. But if you can look at any major change that you've already survived in your life, it might be helpful to ask the question, like, how did I make it through? What would I go back and tell myself? Like, if I could go back and tell myself anything as a freshman in college, what would I say? Um, It's funny, if you ask people this question, sometimes we have specific advice for ourselves, but a lot of times it is like, you're going to be okay. I promise you, trust, you're going to be okay. You're stronger than you think you are. You're going to survive this. Most of us will give ourselves a form of affirmative messaging. Um, Many times we wouldn't tell ourselves, here's every single thing that's going to come your way and here's what you need to be prepared for it. Because we understand at that point that we need those experiences to become the person that we're meant to be. So we would most likely give ourselves some encouragement. And if it feels helpful to do that, or you want to imagine your future self who is on the other side and your future self knows what you don't know and is able to guide you, what would your future self say to you? And again, it might be just something really simple, like you're going to be okay and you're going to survive this. And the last thing that I found is that there's often a gift that comes at the end of this kind of process. So when we come to more of a completion and we are kind of settling into this new way of seeing things, I've often found that our intuitive gifts might open. Um, It could be a gift of hope or joy or encouragement or um, seeing the world through a more bigger lens of light. Um, There's so many spiritual gifts and talents that are out there. That's a whole other topic. But I've always found that when we allow ourselves to go down into the abyss, to dig through the mud and to develop those roots and to do that unlayering process that there is often um, light that is found on the other side and there is new life and new growth that is found on the other side. So that is our survey course today on spiritual awakenings. Like I said, mine was in 2011. And in a nutshell, I had some things happen in my personal life and I ended up 
waking up one day and saying, oh no, (laughs) this isn't my life. It's like this other part of me woke up and I went through basically everything that I just described to you um, in this podcast. And I also had all these visceral kind of um, cognitive images of dominoes that kept tipping over and over and over or houses of cards falling. I kept feeling drawn to images of like the butterfly leaving the cocoon and birds flying free. And, you know, if a shirt had a bird on it, I would buy it. You know, if I could find something with a butterfly on it or an inspiration inspirational quote, like, I wanted that, you know, Um, I kept seeing this image of Alice in Wonderland having like the eat me potion or whatever, drink me, and getting too big and popping out of the house that she was in and kind of outgrowing this space um, that she previously inhabited. And so I had all of those things and it was disorienting and it was disruptive. And um, I had all of that physical stuff that I mentioned about feeling very displaced from myself and out of sorts and displaced from my life. And ultimately it led me to make some really big, massive changes where I ended up basically starting all over again. And when I came out the other side, it definitely marked a point in time where I came out with um, a bigger spiritual perspective and intuitive gifts and the gift of joy. That was one of the gifts that was there for me for about six months. I just felt so joyful. (laughs) It's like I survived you know, and there is light and it's beautiful, you know, trust the lean into it. Um, I was a believer. So that was me in a nutshell. And um, with that, we will wrap up for today. Uh, next week, we will be talking about the question, why can't we be mystic minded? And I will be sharing a little bit of my experience with um mystic, what mystic minded means to me and why I think this is such an important question for us to be asking at this point in time. Until then, be love, be you, be well, and be magic. You've been listening to Your Heart Magic with Dr. Bethann Kapansky-Wright. Tune in next week for a new episode to support and empower your light.